So today we're going to be talking about a condition that we see very often in the clinic with a, one of our naturopaths and PAT practitioners, Stephen Judge, um, and that condition is eczema. So Stephen, do you mind just starting off of what eczema is basically? Yeah, no worries, Jess. So eczema is also it's commonly referred to a lot out there as atopic dermatitis, uh, but it's basically an inflammatory skin disorder. Mm -hmm. So it manifests on the skin as erythema, or which is a word for redness of the skin, mm -hmm. and a lot of heat and itchy skin. And these are kind of the classic signs and symptoms of the body's natural inflammatory response yep. as well. So the skin can also present as being very crusty and scaling and dry, and there's classically a thickening of the skin, particularly in a... Uh, teenagers and adults. And what's interesting about the <coughs> clinical presentation of eczema is it does present differently at different life stages. Yeah. So, you know, current statistics reveal it affects an estimated 31.6 million people worldwide. Wow. It's pretty huge. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, at least 10 to 12% of the general population, but it does predominantly occur in children less than five years old. Mm -hmm. So around 10 to 20% of children in general. And we see a lot of a lot of the eczema cases we, we do see. We do see it in adults as well, yeah. but it is a lot of children. Heaps so, of children yeah. and babies. Mm. Um, and I think in 2008, the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology stated that the prevalence of eczema was increasing at a rate of 14% per year. Wow, that's, mm. yeah. So it is incredible how many babies and young children we do see here at the clinic. Mm. And it does, the eczema does present slightly differently in kids. So for example, in infantile eczema, which is from birth to two years of age, it presents as being quite dry and weepy and crusty skin. Mm -hmm. And it will generally present initially on the cheeks and the forehead and the scalp, sometimes the surface of the arms and legs. Yeah. Um, but then from childhood eczema, which is from two years old until around puberty, it, the skin can become less pussy and weepy and it starts to become more plaque-like. Yeah. This is due to all the scratching that these poor kids, yeah. you know, uh, are during day in, day out. And so it starts to spread to the hands, the wrists, the ankles, the knees and elbow creases, and it's not so much on the cheeks anymore. Yeah. And then from puberty through to adulthood, the skin continues to thicken and mm. there's a lot of scaling and dryness. Again, this is due to all the itching. Um, and from here, it can really start to spread to the upper back and the arms, the hands and the feet, and this kind of chronic ongoing yep. adult eczema. Mm. So, you know, it's interesting. The location on the body of the skin inflammation is different at these different life stages. Uh, but in general, there is this kind of constant redness, inflammation, itchiness, yeah. scratching, all mm -hmm. these uh, from this constant <clears throat> underlying inflammatory response. Yeah. Which I'm sure any of our listeners who experience eczema understand to know how uncomfortable this is. Yeah. They've mm -hmm. actually done studies on how it can affect the quality of life. And totally. it's like it's one of the most debilitating conditions. Yeah. 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 So when it comes to allergies, what's the link between eczema and allergies? Yeah, so the inflammatory response that drives eczema is it's directly driven by this type 1 hypersensitivity reactions that also cause asthma and hay fever, mm. which is why it's very common to see other allergic conditions 
um, and eczema in individuals, although some people do just present with eczema. Mm. But it is driven by the same type 1 hypersensitivity reaction that drive um, allergic rhinitis or hay fever yeah. and asthma. The atopic triad. Yeah. 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 So listeners may be familiar with that term, atopy or atopic. So atopy refers to the tendency to be susceptible to develop what's known as the triad of allergic diseases. So the three being eczema, asthma, and allergic rhinitis, also known as good old hay fever. Yeah. So many people have this genetic susceptibility that is triggered by environmental factors such as potential food allergies, um, as well as airborne allergies such as dust and dust mites, mold and pollens. Yes. And so this physiological allergic response is what drives this chronic skin inflammation that manifests what we call eczema. So to deal with the root cause of eczema, one of the important pieces of the puzzle is that we really need to test for and rule out or treat any existing food or airborne allergies, particularly the foods, because these foods that you're consuming on a daily constant basis Mm. will just be constantly driving this inflammatory response in a vicious cycle so you know any type of topical ointments creams steroids they're you know even natural topical treatments they're a band-aid yeah so we really need to understand what's going on internally and we know that eczema and food allergies are highly associated um so for anyone with unresolved eczema it's kind of one of the highest priorities to have tested and addressed if it is in fact a driver for that individual. Yeah. And so if you have a genetic susceptibility to anything, you need to look at the direct environmental triggers that will set it off. And so in the case of eczema, one of these is food allergies as well as food intolerances. And when we treat these, we typically do see quite a significant reduction and elimination of these severe mm. eczema flare-ups. Yeah. And, you know, we also need to be mindful of the irritants that might further damage and exacerbate eczema, such as soaps and fabrics and changes in climate in some people, like yep. temperature and humidity. Yeah, getting can, worse uh, in winter or summer, depends yeah. on the person. Yep. Yeah, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So what are some of the most common food allergies or intolerances that you see in people with unresolved eczema? Yeah, so there's quite a specific group, uh, but I'll start off with something called salicylates. Mm-hmm. Um, so salicylates are basically a family of plant chemicals, um, and they're naturally found in many fruits and vegetables, uh, nuts, herbs, spices, tea, coffee, a lot of alcohol. Yeah. They're kind of ubiquitous and widespread, especially in plant foods. So, mm-hmm. you know, salicylates aren't in... Um, bad foods Mm. Um, they're a natural plant chemical that due to kind of uh, susceptibility and immune system dysregulation people have become sensitive to yeah we'll hear a lot of people um uh, starting like a vegan diet vegetarian diet Mm. or trying clean eating and this is when they'll get a flare-up especially with eczema and other skin issues which can often be something but salicylates is causing yeah yep and i've actually met a few people who uh, Uh, beyond frustrated and confused because they've said to me, um, I only feel good on junk food. Yeah. Because they're not Mm. eating any of these fresh, healthy foods that... Missing out on a lot. Yeah, Yeah. they're unfortunately just sensitive to these chemicals. Mm. So, you know, they're in so many foods. Um, Some of the classic ones are all herbs and all spices. Yeah. 
herbal medicines, uh, broccoli, cucumber, sweet potato, a lot of berries, blueberries, strawberries, cherries, mm. tea, wine, almonds. They're yep. kind of, the, the list is It's very long, exhaustive. yeah. And we do also have our salicylate intolerance blog. We, I think that's one mm. of the first ones we did. Um, mm. So it is worth going back to For that sure. if you do think there is a reaction there. Yeah, so if, if uh, babies, kids or adults come in with pretty chronic unresolved eczema, salicylates is definitely one of the priority first treatments. Yeah. So we do see most significant reduction focusing on this treatment mm. in the beginning stages because mm. there aren't so many foods. Yes. But another food chemical um, that may not be mentioned um, as much not on as the well internet known. is amines. Mm. Yeah, so amines are another, they're a natural food chemical but they're formed by the breakdown of protein in food. Mm -hmm. So they're very high in foods that are very overly ripe, overcooked, uh, grilled, charred, and fermented. Mm. So some very classic high amine foods include aged cheeses, uh, cured and smoked meats, fish, wine, beer vinegar, uh, sauerkraut, chocolate, nuts, seafood. So a lot of these you might also notice are very high in histamine, yeah. which can really aggravate eczema flare-ups as well mm -hmm. and really aggravate any of these other atopic conditions mm. that may exist. Yeah. So salicylates and amines are very high up the priority list of treating in terms of uh, symptom relief when yeah. we meet people here at the right. clinic. Mm. Uh, but other foods that are directly linked to eczema flare-ups that we focus on at some point include dairy and wheat. Uh, eggs is often very overlooked mm -hmm. as an allergen. Uh, sugar is a big one, and particularly with eczema, we treat a lot of people for yeast. Yeah. So I guess it's important to note that just because, for example, a lot of people do notice improvement off dairy and wheat, um, you know, they're kind of two classic foods a lot of people... Is this like on elimination diets? Or yeah, yeah, or just in mm. general people mm. might be... Try to cut it out. Eczema mm. and go, oh, well, I've heard dairy and wheat pretty bad yep. them. it's the go-to yeah mm. and some people do notice the difference but others don't notice the difference at all yeah um and you know this could be because you either truly don't have an issue with dairy or wheat they're not your triggers or you in fact do have an issue with them but while you've removed yourself off dairy and wheat you're unknowingly continuing continuing to eat these other foods such as salicylates or amines or yeast so you're not seeing the benefit mm. of removing them because there are other foods you're allergic or intolerant to that you're still eating yeah so and because clinically you know we rarely see that it's one food or one thing driving mm. this chronic inflammatory skin <laughs> issue so i mean the best way to get around this and to save a lot of time and effort is to test, just test and see what you as an individual are allergic or intolerant to. Yeah. You know, guessing is a nightmare. Mm. Elimination diets may help uh, in the short term, but people are, they're very restrictive and yeah. most of the clients I meet here have just found it too stressful to mm. adhere to. So Especially if the kids are young as well. Oh yeah, yeah mm. totally. So testing is great. It cuts to the chase. Yep. We can start treating immediately. And although a lot of people do come back uh, with the classic gluten and dairy allergy or intolerances, um, other people I meet who surprisingly don't. Mm. But we get to find out that, okay, well, actually you have a salicylate and amine issue and mm. uh, eggs are a big trigger for you. Yeah. Um, so another important allergy to point out in the context of what 
can drive eczema quite severely is dust and dust mites mm-hmm. and some other airborne. Much harder to avoid. Can't go on an elimination yeah, diet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. in fact, a classic scenario here at the clinic is some people have absolutely no issues with food, um, have frustratingly tried removing all the food triggers and haven't seen improvement, but it turns out the dust and other airborne, such as mold, animals, pollens, grasses are driving their eczema mm. flare-ups. However, for many clients we do meet here, a lot of them tend to be sensitive to a collection of some foods and some airborne yeah. together, which you can only really uncover through testing. Yeah, and I guess if they do have that atopic tendency as well, mm. um, they'll often experience sinus issues and asthma issues, which ties into those airborne reactions as well. Yeah, yeah. that is very classic mm. too. Mm. The dust in particular is a very common overlooked driver of eczema. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And a really fascinating factor to consider why some patients may present in practice with a whole bunch of airborne allergies, so the dust, moulds, pollens, but are fine with food, it may potentially be due to um, a dysfunction of the actual skin barrier. Yeah. So there's actually this protein called filaggrin. And Mm -hmm. according to new evidence, up to 50% of eczema patients have a genetic mutation in a gene that encodes this filaggrin protein. That's a massive portion, mm. yeah. So having dysfunctional filaggrin protein, it essentially may affect the ability of the skin barrier to hold water. Mm-hmm. So this can lead to dryness, of, yeah, yeah, itchiness and skin inflammation. But it may also allow all these airborne, like the dust, to enter the skin more easily and cause this kind of direct skin inflammation and irritation. Yeah. That's changing the pH of the skin and mm. drive a lot of uh, rapid bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Look, we do meet a lot of frustrated young teenagers and adults um, at the clinic who they've been told by doctors and such that they should simply grow out of their allergies. Mm. But this rarely seems to be the case. Why do you think this is? Yeah, so the Journal of Allergy, Asthma and Clinical Immunology did in fact uncover that statistically only around a quarter of kids really appear to outgrow their allergies. Mm. And these kids that do outgrow, uh, they're typically allergic to egg, milk and soy. But again, not all kids do outgrow their allergies. Yeah, to it seems to be right. quite a small portion rather than the majority, yeah. Hmm. Mm. And we can only hypothesise this, but I guess as we usually do see in clinic, I would personally say that many people don't outgrow their allergies due to uh, immune system dysregulation typically attributed to reduced digestive function and their gut microbiome health. Mm. Um, And perhaps these kids who do outgrow their allergies only had mild to moderate symptoms. They only had a few allergies Mm. or intolerances as opposed to a heap. Um, Perhaps their genetic predisposition was not as strong as someone else Mm. who hasn't been able to outgrow their allergies. So again, it's kind of this potential combination of environment and susceptibility and Mm. gut health. Yeah, and yeah. I guess if you if this is something that you ha- we do see a lot of clients who experience um, eczema in childhood, and it will mm. they would be part of that twenty five percent, and it does seem to go away. Yeah. But then they'll come across a stressor in teenagehood or in adult life, and that's when they'll get a flare up again. So yeah. it seems to be something that can stay dormant and sort of flare yeah. its rear its head at the times when you are susceptible to it, which is interesting. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned um, about gut health and the digestive function and such. Mm. What exactly is the link? between eczema and the gut because you wouldn't necessarily 
put those two things together, your skin and no. your gut, and how does it all work? Yeah, because some people kind of think, oh, well, I don't have any gut symptoms, so that mustn't be my issue. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to have digestive issues um, for your gut microbiome to be driving, mm. say, a skin issue. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we know that the gut microbiome is vital for proper development and maintenance of the immune system. Mm -hmm. And that changes in the gut microbiome and the composition of the microbes there, including bacteria in the gut can be directly linked to altering our immune system, mm -hmm. which can lead to the development of these inflammatory skin diseases. Okay. Yeah. And this again, will come <coughs> down to genetic predispositions. Others may have an altered gut microbiome, but it may manifest as psoriasis or mm. mental health symptoms. But if you have the genes that make you susceptible to developing atopic conditions like eczema and your gut microbiome is altered and has this dysregulated immune response and now has a tendency to this allergic type 1 hypersensitivity reaction, mm. this is how it will manifest for you. And I guess it does run in families quite often as well. Yeah. I think there's a few other studies which have um, shown if one parent has it, there's a certain percentage chance that the child will, and then sure. if two parents have it, that percentage is doubled. Yeah. And that goes for any of those kind of um, the atopic conditions, yeah. Yeah, mm. for sure. And so what happens in the gut microbiome is that there is, if there is this dysbiosis or the microbial imbalance, these bacteria which have overgrown, you know, they produce their own metabolites which uh, are directly inflammatory mm. to the gut and mm -hmm. they drive this dysregulated immune response. You know, in the case of allergies and the allergic response, it's very dominant in this Th2 response which mm -hmm. suppresses the Th1 response. This is the typically known immune reaction driving a lot of allergic symptoms and the inflammatory response associated with it. Yeah. So why might someone have dysbiosis in an altered gut microbiome that is driving eczema? Like how does a baby develop this? Yeah, it's yeah. a great question. And, you know, it's generally um, a collection and a variety of potential factors that we know affect gut microbiome. We do go into this in heaps more detail um, on the podcast we did on what causes allergies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some babies are brought into the world with a compromised immune system from day one mm. due to poor colonization and translocation of beneficial gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. So when thinking of babies and kids, you know, we need to consider if they had a natural or a cesarean birth, mm -hmm. you know, whether or not, um, the bacteria they did get from their mother was healthy or not because mum may have had dysbiosis. Yeah, and that's the only place a baby can get their gut bacteria, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. and so the consideration with uh, a natural and a cesarean birth is kids pick up um, bacteria as they're coming out of the mm. vaginal canal, but they yeah. miss that with the cesarean birth, Yeah, um, which is quite significant. Mm. Um, you know, we need to consider, you know, have babies been breastfed mm -hmm. as breastfeeding directly shapes the baby's gut microbiome and its immune system. Yeah. And then we need to know what a baby and child's diet has been like. Is mm. it nutrient dense and supportive of gut health or is it full of refined carbs and sugar? <laughs> yeah. Is it a lot of inflammatory fats from processed vegetable oils, which are in a lot of formulas? Yeah. Um, there's the hygiene hypothesis to consider. So combined with all these factors, you know, these days the Western lifestyle reduces um, exposure to a baby's immune system to so many natural uh, micro microbial exposures which mm. are important 
for them to be exposed to for the immune system to develop properly. Yep. To learn what's safe and what's not, basically. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're living mm. in a very sterilised world, mm. which isn't great for the gut microbiome. No. So on top of all this, there's stress to consider. Mm. There's antibiotic overuse, which can be rampant in kids, particularly yep. they've, all, they've all got glue ear and skin <clears throat> infections and this, yep. and they're just on the um, merry-go-round of antibiotics. Mm. Um, or maybe mum was given a lot of antibiotics when she was pregnant for yep. whatever reason. And so this is not to obsess over with parents and drive any guilt about it. It's just a common question we get asked, you know, why is my baby or child or kid riddled, riddled with eczema? What does their gut have to do with yeah. it? Uh, but, you know, just knowing all this, what we can do, knowing their history or timeline is quite confidently focus on restoring their gut health and their gut microbiome which involves manipulating the gut with some very targeted anti-inflammatory probiotic, prebiotic strategies mm -hmm. in the form of quality supplementation yeah. and diet. And the other important piece of treatment in restoring the gut microbiome is to actually remove and treat any existing allergies or intolerances because mm. if you've got, when you've got gut dysbiosis issues, if you're eating these allergic and intolerant foods, you're constantly introducing um, yeah, more inflammation. foods that drive gut inflammation worse than the dysbiosis and it's just this vicious cycle. cycle. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So another common condition, um, other skin condition we do hear about is psoriasis. And a lot of people do get confused as to know whether they have eczema or psoriasis. So mm. are there some basic um, sort of ways of disparity to find out which one they have? Mm. Yeah. So I guess psoriasis is technically much less common than eczema. Uh, it's estimated that under 3% of the population have psoriasis. Mm -hmm. Um, and the average age of onset of psoriasis is around 33, mm. 30 Compared years to old. Being as a baby. Yeah. yeah. So the development of psoriasis as a disease, it's much more complex. There's genetic susceptibility triggered by environment, similar to eczema, mm -hmm. but it's actually an autoimmune condition. So there are more complex immune pathways to consider with psoriasis. Mm. Um, it does prevent differently. Uh, like eczema, it does begin with these small red papules, but the lesions you see on psoriasis, they eventually do develop this very silvery plaque, mm. um, which is generally viewed on the face and the scalp, the elbow and the knees. Yep. You know, its appearance is kind of, looks like white scales on top mm. of a reddish looking area. Yeah. Um, so... Psoriasis is notoriously trickier to treat than eczema, but I mean, um, similar to eczema, the the two treatments that you really need to focus on to get on top of both um, to deal with the underlying skin inflammation are gut health and treating uh, existing food allergies or food intolerances. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One other thing we do often see in clinic is um, topical corticosteroid withdrawal, as a lot of people do use that as their form of treatment mm. um, before coming to us. What kind of effect can that have? Yeah, so this is something we see a lot, actually, um, because so many clients come to us wanting to treat the root underlying cause for their eczema. And they've been reliant on corticosteroid drugs for so long, uh, you know, for symptom relief. Mm. Um, but the problem with 
long-term topical corticosteroid use is that number one, they're simply masking a deeper issue. Yeah. So they're not treating it. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you stop, it's going to come back. Yeah. And the second is that they, the long-term use of these drugs can directly cause these clients to experience quite severe withdrawal side effects mm. once they do decide they want to come off them. Yep. You know, it's quite similar to antidepressants. Mm. And this isn't really, the withdrawal syndrome isn't related to anything else in mm. terms of what causes it. It is acknowledged that topical corticosteroid withdrawal is an iatrogenic condition. Mm. And iatrogenic basically means it was caused by medical intervention. Yeah. Um, it's also referred to as red skin syndrome mm -hmm. uh, commonly because the symptoms of topical corticosteroid withdrawal uh, are a rebound, pretty harsh redness yeah. of the skin. Between, it can be very severe, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it can start to develop when people are still on their steroid drugs. But, really? Um, wow. It's starting to become quite red between um, application of the steroids. Yeah. Um, you know, or a flushing or a bright redness classically appear when they do stop. Yeah. Um, other symptoms of this, which these withdrawal symptoms include tissue swelling, mm. uh, quite a severe flaking of the skin, heat sensitivity. People become very hypersensitive to fabrics and temperature, water and movement. Mm. Um, they have eye dryness and irritation. It can also really affect people's mood and cause a lot of insomnia. Sounds terrible, yeah. Yeah, so these side effects occur... <coughs> due to the ability of the synthetic cortisone people are taking, um, they basically, what these drugs do to reduce inflammatory skin conditions is they stimulate the body's release of cortisol. Mm -hmm. So people might um, hear cortisol and think of it being known as the classic stress hormone, yeah. which is, you know, too much of it's bad and can cause a lot of health issues. Mm. But physiologically, you know, people take, uh, corticosteroid drugs to stimulate cortisol release because it does actually act in the body as an anti-inflammatory mm. hormone to fight this underlying inflammatory response driving eczema. Mm -hmm. So the problem with that though is that because of the constant stimulation of this cortisol, you know, we're synthetically constantly mm. stimulating it, which we shouldn't be, mm. uh, this feedback mechanism which should instruct the body to stop producing cortisol, it becomes dysregulated and yeah. out of balance. Um, so once you start to, once clients stop their medication, it can have this quite serious rebound effect in what we see as topical corticosteroid withdrawal syndrome. Yeah. So it's really important, basically, I mean, when we meet clients here, to be ceasing these medications very gradually mm. under medical supervision. But I mean, while also seeking the appropriate help in treating the underlying causes of their eczema, such mm. as treating their gut health, uh, testing for and addressing all of their food allergies and intolerances. And this is really to ensure that they don't have this serious rebound effect yep. and they're able to smoothly transition off medication mm. into an eczema-free life. Yeah, and that is quite interesting because we do um, see a lot of clients at the clinic with eczema, as mm. we said, and a lot of them will be concerned that they'll need to stop their medication before having treatments or anything like that. So yeah. it's <clears throat> it's important to know that this is something that we can work with mm. and, like you said, make it a slow progression to slowly be able to lessen the reliance on these so then you can yeah, reduce yeah. symptoms naturally.
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So if you are experiencing eczema and you do want to inquire about if our treatments may be able to help, um, please visit our website, which is naturalallergytreatment.com.au. Um, you can have a read on our eczema page there, as well as some of our blogs have some great information too. Um, you can also get in touch with us by giving us a call, which is with on 1300 853 or if you're in New Zealand, the number is 09479 5997. All right, thanks, Stephen. No worries. Thanks, Jess. Pleasure. Bye.